be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show. And I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 59 of The Dispatchist. Is anybody wow. watching The Watchers? Oh. Hmm. And is that new on Netflix? It is. And with me this week are my co-hosts, Victoria. Hello. And Jamin. Hello. And I'm Jacob. Hello. 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 So I spent some time trying to check, track down information on the Metatron. Okay. But for some reason, Autocorrect insisted on calling it the Metron. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find out what a Metron is? It's a robot made of meat, I think. <laughs> so what is a Metatron then? Uh, it's the voice of God, but it's also the name for Enoch when he is transcended into heaven and becomes an angel. What? Metatron? Really? Metatron. Yeah, it's also played by, uh, who's the guy that played Snape? That guy uh, who passed Alan Rickman. Yeah, it's played by yeah. Alan, he's played by Alan Rickman in Dogma. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right. I was right, wondering right. where you were going with Alan Rickman. He is actually Metatron. You're right. He is. Yeah, he looks the part. I don't know how I missed that part. Uh, I feel like there's so much in Enoch that I, Enoch, that I missed. There's just, yeah. I think the Metatron is like a post Enoch thing. Like, okay, it's 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 written like about him, and it's not doesn't turn up in Enoch. I mean, one Enoch, two Enoch, or three Enoch, as far as I can see. Mm. But are there any Enoch knock jokes? Enoch Enoch jokes. <laughs> oh my gosh! Ah, ah, I just came up with that. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so this this week's topic is the Watchers, which I been very excited about for months and months and months. Yes, you have. Yes. But before we get to that topic, did anybody bring anything to the party? I brought, as is my way, I brought a drink. Yes. And it is called the Year of the Flood. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It exists. This drink exists. And it is one and a half ounces of Buffalo Trace bourbon. And half an ounce of Cazadores Reposado tequila, one ounce of raspberry vanilla syrup, and Lo half an ounce of Benedictine. You shake and then you serve over ice. And I will send you a picture of what it. What is Benedictine? Yeah. It's a liqueur. I want to say Benedictine. What does it taste like? I want to say it's also kind of like a cherry or raspberry flavor. Let me let me find out. Got that arsenic should... note to it. Mmm. Monks? Yeah, just nope. ground what do they monks. taste like? Mm. Probably beer and uh, sadness. Beer and celibacy. <laughs> oh, Benedictine. <laughs> it's a delicate balance of honey, warm spices, citrus, stone fruits, and herbs. Just like a monk. Just like a licked monk. Stone mm. fruits? Mm, this monk smacks of stone fruits. Oh, like a cherry with a stone. Yeah, or peach or apricot. Right, for those of us Plum. in the world who refer to such things as stones, not me. No. Do you, what do you call them? Pit, pit fruit? Pit. <laughs> <laughs> They're droops. Mm, yes. Mm, pit fruit. 
<laughs> have you ever heard people refer to like I just t- say like if there's a bowl of apples or oranges on the offer, just like it's a piece of fruit. But have you ever heard people refer to such things as hand fruit? No, never. I was at a conference once and they offered, they were like, would you care for a hand fruit? But wouldn't that be a citron? Uh, I, <laughs> is that the one with the little finger? Yes. Uh, is that a citron? Yeah. What? The hand of Buddha citron. Oh, see, they should have, if they'd offered me that, but they were just talking about like fruit, you, what you can hold in your hand. I have to say that I think that my jokes are like really spot on and easy for people to get. I, I, I speak humor to the common man. <laughs> Like when you when you go by you know your citron at your uh-huh. oh it's yeah, they one do of the look like little oldest hands. citrus fruits mm-hmm. just like Buddha. <laughs> Did you know that if you you know a good Christmas treat is to take the Buddha and then like stick a bunch of cloves in him and he smells really good. <laughs> candy him, candy him, and use him in fruit candy. cake. <laughs> Candied Buddha. Mm-hmm. Well, I brought some entertainment myself. Oh. So for our amusement, every night a team of demons will use red-hot swords and pokers to drive married women across a vast red-hot bridge. Why married women? Apparently, there is a special hell for married women. (laughs) It's called being married. Oh. (laughs) As a married woman, I... No. No. (laughs) Are you declining to comment? Oh, no, I will say I'm a very happily married woman. Oh, okay. I also well, understand that there's, I have also been a, an unhappily married woman in, in many, many, many years ago. So. Hmm. You could have moments of being unhappy and married at the same time. That's true, but they don't necessarily, you know, align. Not, it's not the cause. Of, the marriage is not often, is not always the cause of the unhappiness. Oftentimes, in my case, it is not. Most, all the times it is not. Oh, uh, Jamin, do you have anything for the partay? So, I have cheese fries. Okay. okay. But there's a reason for this. Mm-hmm. Up in my old stomping grounds, up in East Texas, there was a vineyard called Enoch Stomp. Oh. And I don't know why, but like twice a year, they'd have a community day and you pay, I think you pay 50 bucks, they give you a white t-shirt and you get to go and step on their grapes while wearing your free $50 t-shirt and it gets stained. And like you are, you are mashing their grapes for them. And because it's a tasting room, they sell cheesy fries, which are actually pretty good with red wine. Hmm. And because Texas. Okay. Okay. So Enoch Stomp Cheesy Fries. Yes. Okay. What was the, was the brand name (laughs) Enoch Stomp? The brand name is really (laughs) Enoch Stomp Vineyard. Okay. Oh, uh uh uh-huh. And I, I hope we can kind of answer one of these questions because Everything I know of Enoch and everything I know of stomping, like the Venn diagrams do not touch. Was he a big fan of stomp? The, <laughs> Did the he Broadway have big sensation? You don't say. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, he doesn't. I, nothing I read referred to much stomping on Enoch's part. Like, I just sent you guys that video of, their, of his bromance with God, and there was no, it seemed like he was, he was not a very stompy stompy guy yeah i mean he's kind of got a pencil and paper and is ready to go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does anybody have any hell news this week well, there have been quite a few i know jamin shared some Whew. shall we go with the super exciting one first yes okay 
So geologists have discovered a literal hell, which is Where? a layer. A yeah. figurative hell. Well, yes. Don't mess <laughs> with me on this one. We don't use the word literally lightly around here, young man. It's in the article. I'm only quoting the news. Jacob's getting stompy. Like Enoch. <laughs> so, we thought we knew how things worked, which is the Earth is a hollow sphere. And then we also thought we knew how things work, in which the Earth is a plum pudding. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. plate tectonics happened. And a, b- a ball of cheese was proposed in the Middle Ages. Yes, yes. And that got shifted to the moon. Yes. True. But between one of the layers and another of the layers. The cheese layers. Is a layer of <laughs> molten rock. Oh. Which is melty mm-hmm. rock. And they're like, oh, this explains things. However, and this is important, in terms of plate... Like Centralia. Yes. Wow, that's the town on fire. For those of you <laughs> following along at home. <laughs> Another one of those... Jokes that everyone gets. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're all about the, 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 the jokes of the common man. I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what's important about this layer of molten rock between one layer and another layer is in, ter- in, in regards to plate tectonics, it does absolutely nothing. It does not yeah. contribute in any way to plate tectonics. It's just a layer of molten rock. It's not like plate lube? Yeah, that's what we thought. It was like, <laughs> oh, there's molten rock. It lets him go slippy slidey. No. Mm-hmm. No. No, and it's not glue either. Wrong layer. Uh-huh. Wow. Huh. So it's just like a, st- a, a stuffed crust pizza. Like the earth is a stuffed crust pizza. It's, it's just like hell. It's there, but no one knows why. And yeah, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> wow. And that's news from, from UT, from our stomping, our, our, our town that is, that was discovered in, um, by scientists that are in our town. I was personally delighted by Paris Fashion Week, which had, As you are. I, I, every, every year I go. Mm-hmm. And this year, there was a big show by Schiaparelli, I suppose, uh, that had inspiration from Dante's Inferno. And kind of, you can watch it on YouTube. We'll link to that. This is Haute Couture, which I think that's French for incomprehensible. And some of the models were wearing frightening ziggurat-style masks. <laughs> Just very strange alien masky things. And... A giant lion's head on one shoulder of an otherwise fairly simple black gown. Mm-hmm. Although the uh, full-body snow leopard look was even stranger, or the taxidermied wolf look. These aren't real animals, but they're very realistic. They're super realistic. I think the wolf was the coolest, and I also like the snow leopard. The lion, I don't know, uh, those of you who did not grow up in Texas, you may not know about the phenomenon of football moms. But um, they're these giant chrysanthemums that oh, are yeah, decked yeah, out yeah. with ribbons yes, and stuff. Yes. I mean, when I was a kid, they just, you know, you had ribbons, you had like shiny things attached, you had like little plastic footballs, whatever. Now they've got like actual stuffed animals. And they're gigantic. It's- yeah. Microsage can stop a bullet. Yeah, it's crazy. You should look up. Uh, there's a, ph- a photographer who did a series on them, but. All I could, that's all I could think of with, with the lion head is it looked like <laughs> just a, like a mom. peak, the, the, the moment where the, like, the peak moma, m- uh, football mom, mom before the yeah. Yeah, <laughs> peak fo- football moments I, right before the end times. I was just amazed at how subtle 
the use that the lion was in that in that outfit. It's very it's you'd almost not notice it. <laughs> <laughs> How heavy do you think that was? Oh my gosh, it looks like twenty pounds of lion. Yeah, like she. I was trying to see if she was struggling or not, but they're so stoic. I'm sure they had like some kind of crazy rigging on, under it because like the, she herself weighed probably like sixty pounds. pounds. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure the head, you know, weighed more. Maybe the head was actually weighing her. Maybe that's the whole thing. Like the head was sentient and floating through the air, carrying this little model attached to it like a football mom. Right. Like she's the accessory. She's right, the accessory. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was, I mean, I applaud, I applaud the cohesion of that collection. Yeah. It was. That's well- all I know how to say in fashion speak. <laughs> it was. In- I li- yeah. I was impressed. Cohesion. Ooh. Ooh. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. And then there's the Super Bowl. Oh, the superb owl. He's a pretty good owl this year. Yeah. Mm, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Call back to last episode where we learned that Rihanna had been receiving transmissions from hell that were informing her music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, oh, right. Yeah, it came up again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is peak Rihanna as Satanist moment um, because nothing screams Satan more than a fully covered pregnant woman. Right. Mm-hmm. She was wearing like solid red and had a belt buckle of some number of s- sides that was apparently a pentagon. Yeah, the, the, a six pentagon. Sided, the six-sided pentagon. That's, uh-huh. how you know. That's how you know she's real evil. Right, right, right. <laughs> My pentagram has six sides. <laughs> it goes up to 11. I was going to make that joke. Damn it. <laughs> Five plus six is 11. True. <laughs> Rock music is Satan. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All, that was all the talk of MAGA pundits who sell gold Bug. Uh, on there. <laughs> what was the line you wanted to? Oh, yes. My favorite line from the Daily Beast article about it, about far-right cable host Grant Stinchfield. Not making that up. <laughs> Going off, uh, as they say, going all church lady about Rihanna's performance. And so one of the best lines in this article was that uh, he then whined about how hard it would be to explain to your little kid, in quotes, the pregnant singer's fully clothed performance, all before finishing up his performative tirade about the sinful Super Bowl by urging his viewers to buy gold from his program sponsor. That logically follows. (laughs) Okay. Because Jesus, Jesus really likes people who use their, who use faith to sell, sell things. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Well, I say we get to the topic at hand because I've been waiting like six months for this one. Oh, uh, no, I think we should wait. <laughs> another six months. Okay. <laughs> Episode 100. Uh-huh, that's right. You can finally talk about the watchers. Oh, wait a minute. We're out of time. <laughs> so, yeah, this week is going to be the watchers, which is one of the big, Myths of how evil entered the world. The Odyssey again. Um, oh, I have a new word, though. It's a really good word. Oh. Uh, theophany. <gasps> yes! Oh, my God, I wrote that down, too. Theophany. Yeah. yeah. From, like, we got the word, the root for, like, cacophony in there. And Theo mm-hmm. for God. It's the way the Earth, like, shudders and recoils when angry God enters the, the movie frame. Ooh. It's such oh. a good word. Yeah. It's a good word. 
Can I also tell you that it took me reading the word uh, more times than I care to mention the word mosaic, like talking about mosaic scripture, mosaic oh, right. thought. Right. About I, Moses, not about tiles. Exactly. I was like, so does it mean that it's kind of fra- you know, fractured? It's piecemeal? <laughs> it's, no, no, it just means freaking Moses. Because then I other saw others, Moses. Yeah. like Markin, and, you know, just like there's a, it's just name of God, name of book, name of figure, and E-N at the end. Well, you don't use mosaic very often in any other context. Like, you don't have, like, a mosaic fashion show or... Like, <laughs> Next year. <laughs> yeah, mos- mosaic cooking hour probably isn't a thing anymore. No. Nope, 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 nope. So, uh, I felt both, yeah, like, I learned something and also just kind of embarrassed. <laughs> it's a great day. <laughs> no, that's that's Tuesday for me. So other vocabulary, which will be particularly relevant today, uh, we have the Nephilim, which is basically a, a word meaning giants for all practical purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are possibly the children of the children of the children of God, the grandchildren of God, the grandchildren of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, not always, though, because there's also the word Eloyud, E-L-I-O-U-D. Mm-hmm. I won't even try that one. Eliud. These are the great-grandchildren of God or the gods or the goddesses. Sometimes. There's like three generations of things that were descended from an illicit relationship between the daughters of man and the divine powers. I don't even know. Sometimes called the sons of God. Sometimes. The mm-hmm. word in Hebrew is beni Elohim. Mm-hmm which is uh, the children of Elohim, which is not really God per se. That's how we use it now. But it's also the spirits of the dead, human leaders, uh, any number of gods or goddesses, angels, and presumably demons, because at the time angels were demons, or demons were angels, rather. Mm -hmm. So the Ben Elohim could be, really, I think children of heaven is probably a more useful read in this context. Can I also point out, from our previous episode, the council that was with Yahweh was also called, they were Benny. Like there was a moment where we talked briefly about sort of council, this, you know, kind of uh, multi God panel. No. They, yeah. No. We? You, yeah, we you don't remember that? No, I do remember <laughs> that. I was saying, no, you couldn't bring it up. Oh. 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 <laughs> but no, bring, bring, bring away, bring away. Yeah, that's. I think that's all I had about that was just going back to, oh, so, yeah, it's in the book of Job. Yeah. So, there's a supposition that the Bene become the Watcher Angels, and there's, yeah, and so there's the whole thing about Samuel and... Okay. The Elohim are kind of a nebulous community of, like, numinous things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the inhabitants of the, the other world, overworld, underworld. Yes. Left world. And there's also a connection like that also implies the benny also implies like a relationship between satan and god yeah yeah they're part of the same family tree Mm -hmm. yep yep can i bring up a couple of other words oh i was yeah vocabulary sounds great let's let's do vocabulary lesson for a bit but jamin 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 is burbling burble burble away jamin can we go back to theophany for a bit sure so theophany 
is not cognate with cacophony. It's <gasps> cognate with epiphany. <gasps> oh. Vowels. Vowels are important. So, cacophony, the, the end work is, the end word, the end blah, 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 is P-H-O-N-O, phonos, like sound. Right. right. Oh, I feel, I feel so guilty. Right. And caca <laughs> is actually just poop. So, it's just, you know, a cacophony is poop sound. But why do you feel, I feel like guilt is not the appropriate emotion here, Jacob. It's, I, he I, used I, the wrong word in front of the nerd. I feel like we should unpack this. <laughs> I feel like there's a whole lot more going and then, on there. Too. I'm experiencing Epiphany. nerd guilt. Epiphany <laughs> is P-H-A-N-O-S. Like the revealing of. So Epiphany right. is oh. the revealing of the truth. Elisophane is light which shines from, from without the stone. And lithophanes okay. are a truth story. Like, you can buy naked geisha lady teacups, which are lithophanes. Oh, I yeah. I don't have any naked lady ones, but I have, like, other ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have lithophane teacups? Not teacups. I have, like, a nightlight. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. You, like, lithophanes, they're a thing. Okay. Light being revealed from the stone. And so, the theophany is the appearance of God, the revelation of God, which then incites, you know, terror and trembling in the world itself. Right, right, right. Particularly around Christmas. Neat. Yeah, exactly. That's a much better derivation. I'm happy about that. <laughs> oh, yay! I am a giant nerd. Oh, my gosh. Excuse me, sir, you used the wrong don't, vowel. Don't do that. I think we've had a huge don't breakthrough here. Don't do that? Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> don't don't make their nerd noise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are, I feel like we're learning a lot about Jacob tonight. Victoria. <laughs> Other fun words? Um, The gibberim? Yes. Gibberim? Is what it is... Gibber- gibberim, gibberim? Yeah, the, like one quarter angels. Yeah. And yeah, and it's uh, unclear if it's a noun or an adjective because uh, the word um, when it's an adjective just means mightiest. And so it's often used to refer to or to describe various things, including lions, hunters, soldiers. And leaders, that's all in the Bible. Mm-hmm. What was the first word? Gaborim? Some Gaborim? Before hunters. Applied to men as well as lions. Lions. Okay. Yes, just like when they're not in corsage form. They're <laughs> actually very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th- I think that they're kind of like down the road. Like, you, like Goliath from David and Goliath is kind of mm-hmm. one of these like partially... Like one one X divine, yeah, creatures, like the ones that we are brought back after the flood. Yeah, they never really died off. I mean, the, maybe yep. the flood was a local regional thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Oh, see, I want to talk about how we got these guys after the flood because I have yeah. a, a story. But oh, you found a giant after a flood? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we watched ashore. Uh-huh. Gregory is another word for watchers. I think that I've heard that in like pop culture things, role playing games or whatever. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that sounds kind of Russian. I wonder how that works. But it's from the Slavonic Enoch. So that makes perfect sense. Is it actually from the Slavonic Enoch? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Why would I bother making that up? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Of all the things one could make up, he chooses the least interesting one. I have to say, much like it's really hard to look up anything regarding mythology on the internets because of gaming, uh, 
Mm-hmm. If you go to JSTOR and type in Grigori, you get a gazillion things written by Russians or about Russians. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to really, I had to really use my keyword prowess for, for that one. Philo of Byblos gives us another word for the watchers, the Zophacenim. I've uh, never heard that one. How, it's, do, it's, how do you spell that? With a Z. Um, Z-O-P-H- <laughs> like Liza. Z-O-P-H- a S E M I N, or the Watchers of Heaven. He also says they are formed like an egg. Ooh. So I'm thinking maybe this is where like the Marvel universe gets their conception of the Watchers. You know, Uatu and his big giant head. Yeah, that makes. <laughs> I will have to like right. that. Actually, is a really interesting thing to kind of milk. You know, to just kind of <laughs> that, like. That's- I'm not going to search for milking <laughs> Uatu. <laughs> I'm afraid I might get a result. <laughs> you don't Google it if you don't want to know. Right. But I also like um, Marvel Universe. I'm also kind of imagining like Modoc there instead because he's like huge and anxious. Yes. Well. I was just, that's exactly what popped into my head first until I found the correct reference somewhere else in my head. Um, it is super duper hard to keep the Iliad and the Watchers and the Nephilim straight because like, no one uses all three at the same time, and they're kind of semi-interchangeable. It's it's maddening. So, can I throw another word out there? Please. Rephaim or... Yeah, that's a complicated word. Mm-hmm. Terrible ones. Yeah. Has, well, that's one one meaning. Um, departed spirits whose dwelling place was Shoal. It's also a figurative description of the dead, and like a ghost. I think that word turns up in our History of Satan talk as... Um, Tied to some sort of Egyptian god or demon mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, because it could be. So it's also potentially mighty people with tall stature who live in Canaan. So right. the whole idea of like, are there real giants? Like, well, maybe they're just taller than most could refer like this could mm. be the word that refers to them. Mm. Fun fact about these spirits that escape from the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. They come through cracks and fissures in the earth and escape to the step lands s-t-e-p-p-e lands from the over there other world sort of thing the word for those in assyrian i think the steps was e-d-i-n e-d-i-n ah interesting Mm -hmm. yes do apples grow on the steps i don't know figs might Mm -hmm. but i think it's a way Oh my god, figs terrify me. It's, I, I'm so pretty, confused. I, oh <laughs> but I think I think the steppes were like a blighted wasteland. Like that is kind of the the takeaway from that that region. But I think the word gets muddied around into like gardens and things like that later on. So can I go back just one second about the? Did we decide it's Rephaim? I'll buy that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That uh, another another point to them being potentially actually real, like giants or larger than than normal figures is that there was Og, the king of Bashan, who was described as the last of these folks. And his huh. bed was 13 feet long and six feet wide. Okay. He'd jump on it and go boingy boing. boing. <laughs> yep, yep. But they're also considered the son of a sons of Iraq. And so not like A-R-A-K. Oh, sorry, Anak. Anak, okay, because Anak mm-hmm. is like a licorice-flavored drink. I was going to mm. say, like, there's lots of bottles on Google. Sons of Anak. Mm-hmm, Sons of Anak. Probably also licorice-flavored. Well, let's begin at the beginning on this one, uh, Genesis. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The f- source for the entire Watcher extended Marvel universe is Genesis 6-1. And if you're like up on your demon lore, you probably think, oh, Watchers, they're bad. And they gave birth to all these horrible monsters that ate and devoured and the Nephilim are evil spirits. Video games taught us that for sure. But in Genesis 1, they're really not that bad. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God or the children of heavenly beings, the children of heaven, I want to hold on to that for reasons later. And they took them wives from syntax here, saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. Mm-hmm. Yes, like like I got that. And Jehovah said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is also flesh, yet his days will be 120 years. In those days, giants, the Nephilim, lived on the earth and also afterward, that's important, Mm -hmm. when divine beings and human daughters had sexual relations and gave birth to children. These were the ancient heroes, famous men. And Jehovah saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and mankind upset. God, and then there were floods. It happens. So some takeaways from this. This is this is fairly neutral language. Mm-hmm. I mean, it says that, that they're like folk heroes. Right. And that's why I think that leaning on the children of heaven is useful, because then you have people like Hercules, he would qualify, and Gilgamesh, who gets a mention later on in the Book of Giants, as a giant, as one of these, these Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's some, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, again, giant, all those words can also connotate hero. Yeah. You know, yeah. because like the armies of David were had re- referred to in that way as well. So, yeah, so it's kind of, it becomes something else. And I'm interested in why, like, what mm. is the purpose of these books? Like, what is the purpose of these stories? In Genesis, this is not like an evil genic system. This is just... This kind of is like, back in those days, there were myths. Mm-hmm. Kind of an offhand way to explain a lot of folk stories that were probably floating around the universe because people were familiar with demigods. They were familiar with possibly even Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. One thing that really just kind of opened up for me when we were discussing, I think, Job, but this entire like arc of our hell journey, is the idea that all of the people that wrote the Bible and these parabiblical books they all had reference libraries and, you know, they'd reach back and grab the Psalm scroll and transcribe a few lines into their text. But it's like they're not operating in a vacuum. And that was just really meaningful to me. I mean, it's a silly, like almost obvious thing to say, but Bible provenance, it's it's, it's neat. Can I introduce another word that yes. is not, you know, entirely new, but in several of the articles I read about these books and um, pieces of Apocrypha talked a lot about um, narratology. Do you know anything about narratology? I, I can imagine what the word means, but probably not. No, let's just say no. I don't know that word. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's a branch of literary criticism that deals with the structure and function of narrative and its themes, its uh, conventions, and its symbols. So it's about kind of the function of these things, like why, why, what, why was the watch? Why was the book of the watchers written? Like, why was why were the jubilees written? How are you telling a story, and why are you telling a story? Right, and does okay. the, how does how does the structure of it, like you know, specifically the book of Enoch, how does that structure fit the function of 
the story? Like, how do, is it, you know, supposed to impart some kind of, you know, lesson? Is it a reprimand? Is it a blessing? Hmm. What are the, what's the, yeah. Let's talk genre. So, yeah. So, what is, where are the actions? Enoch yeah. is an apocalypse. It's one of the apocalyptic mm-hmm. texts. It's one of the probably best known ones. These were super duper popular after Israel was occupied by Persia and inherited the Ahura Mazda and Angamanyu uh, apocalypse story. Now, if you've read your Persian, and we'll probably get to those eventually, these were the kind of the two big prime creator forces, good, evil-ish, uh, destructive and creative, and they were in opposition to each other, and the world was created by them kind of working together and against each other. But at the end of days, the baddie, I don't remember who the baddie was. Is it Angramanyu? I think so. Yeah, is going to be cast into a flaming pit forever, as happens to Lucifer and Azazel mm-hmm. in, in today's manuscripts. So, inheriting this from their Persian relatively friendly occupiers, and as we kind of spin forward into increasingly unfriendly occupiers, the apocalypse genre really develops over time, and it has some traditions. Uh, it's got the tradition of the prophet of woe. That's a good one. Woe unto you. It's got vision journeys into the other world. And like all of the hell journeys, that tends to be accompanied by an angel who's there to explain to the journeyer these sights and things that he sees. They concern eschatology, the end of both big things like the universe or the world, and smaller things like our souls. These are kind of intimately tied together. And they tend to allegorize things. Like if you look at Revelations, you say, well, that's the church in Crimea or something like that. And we're going to cast them into a fiery pit. And that's my friends in Mm. Buda. uh, And we're going to have them be seen as sheep on the final days. And they're going to be blessed. So these are all elements that kind of weave into the apocalyptic theme. And Enoch is big time an apocalyptic document. And it feeds very heavily into Revelations and the other later apocalypses. And it also, because I also learned the word synoptic from the synoptic gospels. That means having two eyes. <laughs> uh, it, I, I'm not sure. It's. I think it's. It's uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. Okay. And I think it's because they are almost like they're they're telling the same story in just different ways. Huh. But they're considered. Uh, I may be using the wrong word, but well, no. The, the de- definition seems to be synoptic, relating to the synoptic gospels. That's not fair. Well, okay. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. The synopsis, see reasoning circular, is, (laughs) that's tautology, Uh Mm -hmm. the synopsis Mm -hmm. is the brief summary. So all three of those. And so the the gospels are kind of that, like they're, Mm -hmm. this is the Jesus, here's a quick rundown, bullet point, bullet point, drive the demons out, turn the water to wine, bullet point. Mm -hmm. That they're related is kind of what synoptic means. Yes. And and there's also that Enoch is related to those gospels in the par- sort of roughly parallel journey of Enoch and Jesus. Enoch mentions Jesus a lot. Like it refers to the son of God. No, the son of man. It refers to the son of man, which is used in the New Testament to describe the Messiah and Jesus in that context. I think that isn't that because, I mean, <laughs> something I read, I read a, a lot of articles from about this, but uh, that the only one of these apocrypha 
that we're talking about, the only one that sort of retains its Jewishness is the Jubilees because the other ones have been, you know, they were translated into like, they were Aramaic translated into Greek and then translated. So it's gone through this Christian Hmm. translation process. So there is Uh, like this kind of, you know, um, late, later, later was not redactions. What's the word? Recensions. Recensions. Uh huh. Ooh, that's a new one. Yeah, I think it means like another editor's rewrite of the text. Basically, mm-hmm. they 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 have more Christian notes. Yeah, but the Jubilees, given the nature of it, is very very like it retained uh, its kind of authenticity. That's yeah. the Queen's seventy fifth birthday, right? Yes, yes, yes. yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah, that's you know, it's 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 like the purge where the the corgis just get twenty four hours to do whatever they want. <laughs> So back to kind of the why of this, the apocalypses tended to be almost therapy writing. Like if your people were being dominated by an outside culture and lost control of their lands, their cultural bases, you look backwards to the good times it used to be. And then you write stories about how your enemies are going to burn, burn, burn. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like cultural therapy. It's a way of kind of getting back at your oppressors. First Enoch was written... Well, no one really knows exactly, but like around 200 BC, so kind of towards the end of Persian time, and we're starting to get more into Roman time and Greek takeover time, I think. Mm-hmm. I should look that one up. Nah. <laughs> I mean, why start now? So, so mm-hmm. the land was not under Jewish control. Right. Some parts of it might have been, and infighting and drama is kind of feeds into some of these texts as well. Part of Enoch actually tells the entire story of how we got here, going from the flood to Huckabees. <laughs> Ma- Ma- Maccabees. Maccabees. Close enough. Epic journey. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the why of it, is to uh, show how we got to where we are. And a part of that story is how did evil enter the world? And then what will God do about it? Mm-hmm. But it's a very far journey from Genesis, which has this kind of like pleasant little, and then there were folk heroes. Yay, they, we, Johnny Appleseed, to this epic and very kind of good versus evil story of angels. We were going to call them watchers, but we don't use the word angels because that would corrupt the word angels coming to earth and sleeping with humanity and corrupting them. And like the sin of sex is really, really there. So like this is not, um, this is not Canaanite writing at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I saw a reference, some biblical or some other reference to the Watcher angels who've been in existence, who were pre-existed this moment in time, that they, they're really, you know, they were a thing beforehand. Yeah, I think it's the Holy Ones. Okay. And I, the term is used, like the Blessed Ones is also used. Mm-hmm. Watchers as a category is not necessarily like... Did, all the watchers didn't fall. That was just kind of a way of identifying this group of angels for this text. Okay, it's been a minute, but weren't the watchers, weren't the Grigori, angels who fell but didn't side with Satan? Uh, Satan wasn't really a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who fell? Lucifer. Lucifer fell. No. Okay, let's start over. Okay. Weren't the watchers... These are two different myths. Oh. The yeah, the Watchers are like the source of evil for like the year 200 BC. The fallen angels under the command of Lucifer is like 300 AD, and that's when that becomes like the major idea of how evil entered the world. Oh, because see, 
there are some stories in which the Watchers aren't evil. Yep. They are not good, but they aren't part of the one-third that fell. So, and it's like they their falling predated the big fall, and so they're neutral, but not good, but not evil. That's what's so confusing. But uh, there's a reference in the book of Daniel. Hmm. And yeah, it mentions both good and bad watchers. And it's actually introduced by Nebuchadnezzar when he talks about seeing a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. But in some instances, the watchers were already on earth because they were put there to watch humans. And then they started teaching humans naughty things like cosmetology, which then allegedly led to women seducing the other watcher angels. And so if you want to blame women, with their evil mascara. <laughs> how then, dare you? That's how you do it. Yeah, the so, angels the angels mm-hmm. were tempted by women. But I I feel like the entire thing probably played out like American Pie cuz like the, which one? The, <laughs> the wa- song or the, the watcher movie? the movie. Oh. Yeah. Cuz like the 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 watchers all got together on like now they descended to Mount Hermon and then peace war we're all going to sleep with the daughters of man, right? All of us mm-hmm. together. We're all going to have kids. We're going to do this together, right? All of us all at once. It's like a summer movie where like the teenagers get the car and they go on an epic quest to lose their virginity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And it's very unclear what how the Watchers had uh, sex with the women because in some cases it's like oh they just had sex with the women it's like oh no 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 wait 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 angels and humans cannot biologically like that just doesn't work so they came up with the watcher angel the women seeing the watcher angels while they're having sex with their husbands which as you know as happens in you know Lamarckian evolution (laughs) that's just genetics in in witchcraft trials, like that's how you know evil kind of like that's how you have you know the child of demons is by just looking, seeing a demon while you're having sex with your husband. Hmm. Well, I have to say later in much later in Enoch, like chapter eighty four, so we get to the apocalypse of the animals, and there's a lot of insertion going on there. So I think it's fairly transparent <laughs> how these things work. <laughs> so. Is that worthy of a whole other episode, or is that just a, a side quest? It, it just retells everything. But with... Everything, but with sheep. <laughs> but with corgis? <laughs> Maybe corgis. Um, wol- wolves are in there, for sure. Oh, okay. But that's Enoch okay 84, that. and we're still like, like a Enoch 16 or so. I think we could probably spend some time with Enoch a little bit more, because of the journeys and... Quite possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in Enoch... 200 BC, again, this kind of leads into a lot of other Bible fanfic, like uh, the Book of Giants is tied to it. Enoch 2 and 3 basically expand on Enoch 1, and Jubilees also there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The opening vignette in this story is several chapters of, this is the earth in all of its majesty, and now it's broken, and someday it'll be repaired again. So you got some apocalyptic stuff, and like elements of corruption entering the story, but it kind of leads with like the perfection of God's creation. Very quickly, we get into the story of the Watchers, who, under the leadership of Shemyaza, are going to come Bless down. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Are going to come down from heaven to sleep with the daughters of man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the name of a movie, wasn't it? The daughters of man. Children of God. Oh, okay, Sim- <laughs> similar enough. Close enough. <laughs> I think right, right. 
Is that right? Or there's there's a I think there's children, God. I don't know if there's a city in that name. City of the children of God. City of the children of the daughters of man. <laughs> well, there's the daughters of the of the American Revolution. Yeah, and then there's the daughters of the of the um, Texas. The mm-hmm. where are we? Uh, I want to get back to Mount Hermon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so the Watchers, uh, as a category, they pick up wives. Uh, and this is where we like admonish uh, this, this early text where they say God has numbered man like 110 years or so because you get these immortal beings that are going to sleep with women and have half immortal, half not immortal babies. As they take wives and have families, they teach them valuable skills, uh, makeup tips, gem working, metal working, all sorts of divinations and secrets and secrets of weaponry and war as well. Mm-hmm. For those of you that are up on your Mesopotamian lore, this is almost a uh, me. I want to talk about me. No, you can talk about me. <laughs> no, like as you said, this is like everything comes back to these me, these secrets of. But yeah, go ahead, fill us in. No, no, that's it. Mm-hmm. The me are the gifts of civilization and the powers of the gods at the same time. Do you know way back when, like a million years ago, when we started, I was like, guys, the me are important, and I'm like. The me are important, yes. I, I thought that was kind of a threat. Like, we keep coming back to the me. Well, and I think maybe this is when I finally get to say what I wanted to say for six months. <gasps> there is a parallel story in Canaanite Mesopotamian mythology of seven sages called the Apkalu. They're folk heroes. They're half god, half man, possibly half fish as well. I don't know why they all look like fish, but they do. <laughs> Because why not? And in at least one story, they take the me from the gods and give them to humanity because they know that humanity is about to be wiped out by a flood. And the gods are angry with them for sharing the wisdom of the heavens and punish them. So that's a very Prometheus myth as well. So, so it's like, hey, humans, let me teach you how to make mithril. The amazing metal that does everything. Yeah. And then, oops, now you're all dead. No one remembers how to make mithril. Also, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. It is super interesting, the role that uh, metallurgy, right? <laughs> the importance thereof, yeah. takes in all this. Because we that we keep coming back to that in various things. Like, and, and, and just thinking about last time when we were talking about, is it Gudrun, the guy who created, like, started making weapons and music and all of these things that oh, were yeah. kind of and thinking about we also mentioned Tubal Cain. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Tubal Cain? Who also was the first blacksmith, who's the uh, grandson of Cain. Oh. And do you know what his name means? No. Giant <laughs> giant horned instrument of Oompa Oompa. No. <laughs> That's that that close. It's it's even better. Then it's tuba the, cane? It really is. Just just you wait. Okay. Spice of cane. Interesting. And he's the spice of cane because he actually added um he ex- he uh enhanced the work of cane. And what was the work of cane? Stabbing. What did cane do? Murder. Oh. So Metallurgy. Oh, right. Metallurgy, like, okay. Like, so as, so he, as mm-hmm. spice enhances the flavor of a boring meal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Metallurgy enhances and defines murder. We can do more and better murder. 
Exactly. Like instead of killing like one guy in close contact, oh. you could kill a whole bunch of guys with all of this new weaponry. Interesting, because Azazel is like the number two of the Watchers that come to Earth. I mean, he's not, mm-hmm. and he his myth is like kind of is very big. Like he seems to take all of the thunder away from Shemyaza, but his thing was weirdly uh, makeup tips and weapons. And he's the big, I mean, he's the, I mean, does, yeah, that's why drag queens are so dangerous. <gasps> I was just going to make that joke. I was going to make a Black Widow joke, but now yours is true. It's so true. Yeah. And I think both, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess both are forms of deceit because Tubalcane also, this I did not realize because he's the son of um, Lamech who kills Cain and he tricked Lamech because he's blind. So he tricked him into thinking that Cain was an animal. And so, but, Lamech or Lamech accidentally killed Tubal Cain in his grief about killing Cain. Oh, he just killed everyone. He just killed everybody. He's, so, he's like, blind. Can't you just step 10 feet back? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, right. anyway, whoop, what whoop. set me off on this, and this, this is something I picked up from Dr. Michael Heiser. He writes amazing stuff about the Old Testament and kind of the, the magical mindset of that period. I actually have, I'm taping a step back in my love for him because I think that he, lenses things very heavily towards eschatology. I mean, he's evangelical. Mm-hmm. That's probably mm-hmm. why. But mm-hmm. he says that the Apkalu, these folk sages, the word Apkalu means wisdom or watcher. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in a sense, this is like the other side of the myth. This is the myth that doesn't have the anti-female thing happening. Mm-hmm. This is the myth that doesn't have the sins of man. It's not about evil bringing into the world. This is the this is the myth that is demonized by Enoch. Okay. Okay. And they all wear fish coats for reasons I cannot explain. <laughs> <laughs> Again, because why not? And right. so I have a qu- I have a question because this I never quite answered in my research. I mean, I know. Okay, so just taking a step back, one of the reasons I know that I I, I realize. Now I I absolutely need to read the Bible. Hey, of all, I'm I'm a I like I feel like I you know I'm okay saying that now. Two, one of the reasons why I did not continue to read the Bible when I was a kid was because of all the genealogy and the lineages. The begats did stop me. Yeah, like. The However, begats. those are so freaking important. It's true. I realize, and also we could talk about this when we come to the Jubilees, but that proposed like that. And again, sort of the the Jewishness of it. There's a matrilineal, yeah, genial. So so that is a little like here we have all the dudes. There you have it coming through the maternal side of things. So I now understand why there's so many begats because that's how we know where Enoch came from. Like why him, right? Yeah. And so yeah, like it, I just looked at the lineage of Tubal Cain to. Adam and it's six generations. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's like Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. everybody, everybody knew each other, Biblical and they were Kevin Bacon. They were living so long that Noah was still alive when Adam died. And uh, I don't know if you watched the very important video I sent you <laughs> about Oops. Enoch's bromance with God, but it no. does point out that he was a baby when Adam was still alive, and that's very, very important. Huh? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Why is that very, very important? Oh well, it is in the video. I don't know. Yeah. Fair. Okay, we'll link to yeah. the video in the show notes. It's- yeah, it's 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 a it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> so the watchers teach their wives all these deep secrets and 
maybe it's not necessarily the knowledge that's bad, although sometimes the knowledge is bad. Maybe it's that they're being taught wisdom that is not taught by God, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the bigger sin. Such as mascara. Mascara is ungodly. It's true. It's true, because, I mean, that's just how women deceive men, right? Right. Or men deceive everybody when they wear makeup. So, it's just, it's unholy. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, also in this this kind of period, we, we get into the discussion of the Nephilim and the children of the Watchers and their human wife consorts become giants. Uh, they become terrible, monstrous giants that first basically eat all the animals, eat all the grain. Then they start eating each other <laughs> and threatening the humans as well. Uh, and Earth screams to the heavens, please help us, help us, because this is terrible. And there's a passage where the four archangels are all going, Michael and Uriel and the rest. The the archangels tisk the watchers. God says all this has to go. Enoch, we need you to send a note to Lamech. So Enoch becomes like the celestial scribe, which is kind of his role forever. And they say, you know, they're going to bind them hand and foot. They're going to bind specifically Azazel hand and foot and cast him into hell. The verb they use is tartaru, which is tartarus. Or mm-hmm. the Greek, the Greek hell, the same that's used by the Rebel Titans, and I think probably Prometheus as well. That's kind of neat. Enoch goes and tells the Watchers what's going to happen to them, and I think they send a letter back to God, which has some great dialogue where uh, he says, "You should not intercede for." God turns to the Watchers and says, "You should intercede. You should intercede for men, not ask men to intercede with you," which kind of ties mm. into Job, who says, uh, "Is there anyone who will answer you when you call?" To which of the holy ones will you turn? Right. Who are you going to call? Yeah. God says to them, I therefore have given them wives. Not I've never given you wives. I've not appointed wives for you. That's kind of a tie to the Garden of Eden as well. Um, so God says basically all this, y- y'all are bad. And there's a lot of language that kind of emphasizes like ceremonial purity. Like they've sullied themselves with sex. And that has, that and you know, other bad things has made them unfit to serve in God's holiest of holies. Like, they're mm. they ceremonially un- impure, and they have to go. I will add, so it wasn't Lamach, because he was the one who killed Cain. It was somebody else that got the, that talked to Enoch, or Enoch went to visit. Oh. But it, it started with an L. Just Lamech? No? No. But anywho, because <laughs> he was the one, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a blind human that got, that uh, killed Killed Cain. So after the Facebook messages back and forth between God and Azazel and Shemyaza, we launch into kind of this whirlwind tour of creation. This is kind of an apocalyptic trope as well. And that is you establish like this grand and glorious creation that God has done. And it adds like ethos and pathos to your story to kind of show this this huge sweeping thing. It sets the frame for a universal story, taking it out of the local into this big, big thing. And it spends a fair amount of time in uh, a place called Dudael or Dunedale, mm-hmm. which is kind of the desert, but also it's the cauldron of God. And this is very parallel to Tartarus again. And there's a scene in this, which is the beginning of something important where we see stars in bondage tied up, like rolling around on burning landscape oh. and, and pain. Mm-hmm. And the stars are 
the angels, the, the watchers, presumably. But also, I think it kind of harkens back to some platonic descriptions of Tartarus, where giant flamey spheres roll. Mm. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, it's been a while. But we are seeing Greek influence in the Jewish underworld here. There's like a flaming river, which probably references Pyrophlegathon, the flaming river. Hades is described as the place where no flesh walks. There's an interesting phrase. I'll give this one to you, Jamin. The area is described, the Dundell area is described as being without birds. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Without birds. Avernus. Oh, right. We've talked about Avernus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. again, it's kind of bringing these, um, these Greek elements in. There's another good line that I think you'll like, Victoria. It's tied to Job 38, and I wish you'd noticed this. Uh, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Oh, I love the Pleiades. Yeah, oh. and you know they're, they're in chains. Frequently. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. And in this passage, uh, it's something along the lines of, this place is the end of heaven and earth. This has become a prison for the stars and the host of heaven. And the stars which roll over the fire are they which have transgressed against the commandments of the Lord in the beginning of their rising, because they did not come forth at the appointed times. And he was wroth with them and bound them till the time when their guilt should be consummated for a thousand years, 10,000 years. So the binding of stars is kind of tied to the Pleiades, which are for some reason seen as being bound together. And is again, I'm going to make the argument that we need to have an episode on the Testament of Solomon. We will absolutely have an est- 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 <laughs> estipode on the Testament of Solomon. An estimate of... Uh, uh-huh. Later on, we get to the scene of judgment where the angels are preparing chains for Satan, or Shemayaza in this case, and the sinners that shall perish eternally. And there's a deep flaming pit for kings and potentates, and the angels there are making chains to bind Azazel's armies forever. So mm-hmm. this is a, a Tartarus-style eternal condemnation flaming pit thing. Mm-hmm. The book is also very gung-ho on condemning the ruling class. There's one chapter that's the condemnation of the ruling class, and the next chapter is the, hopelessness, the hopeless end of kings, rulers, and landlords. Of landlords, too. Yeah, landlords. I mean... Like this is this is contemporary right now. Like if we could just get rid of landlords. Historically, this is how you uh, this is how you destroy people is you take away their land or you make them pay to right um, yeah. to farm their own land. And this is yeah. this is a community that is in a land that's been taken over by other people repeatedly mm-hmm. over time. So that kind of makes sense. Then there's like a lot of there's the animal apocalypse, which is very strange. And it begins, uh, once again, I saw a vision and I observed the sky and beheld, I saw stars descending and casting themselves down from the sky upon that first star. And they were pastured together with the, with the cows there. I kept observing and behold, the stars boinked the cows. <laughs> and the cows became pregnant and bore elephants and camels and donkeys. And those creatures began to eat the cows. Very transparent allegory to what we were just reading. And it, runs, it runs from there to Maccabees. <laughs> the st- or you mean or Huckabees as the case may be yeah. the stars <laughs> are the the angels Boinkable. right yes the stars are the yes. angels they're not just actual yes. like flaming balls of gas yeah and a portion of them is described as being quite like horses ooh <laughs> interesting yeah hmm. why horses well uh, it's the specific part uh, that was described uh, <laughs> oh okay yeah 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 so there's um Peruvian I think it's Peruvian uh, stories about it's it's a whole series of like stories that fall under the like fox boy stories. So they're very very bawdy, 
And one of the stories, of course, is about star ch- the star children who come down to Earth and boink. Well, that humans. may very well be from the animal apocalypse. And this is a very, might be. very influential mm-hmm. document. Yep. And I want to, there's, the next chunk is long and tedious because you just read this twice already, but it's the, the book of weeks, I think. And it's the entire timetable of the last book, but like compressed into seven day kind of cyclic things. It's, it's, mm. it's very repetitive. But the last lines of the book of Enoch, woe unto you sinners who are dead. When you are dead, they'll bring your souls down to shale. And they shall experience evil and great tribulation, darkness, nets, burning flame, great judgment. We'd hope to be the head, but we've become the tail. We have moiled as we've toiled. (laughs) (laughs) Moiled. And have Mm -hmm. no authority over our own toil. Then later on, the place where you see, this is the last lines of the book of Enoch. The place which you see, into it shall be taken the spirits of sinners, blasphemers, those who do evil. The sinners shall cry aloud. And they shall see the righteous ones being resplendent, and they shall go to the place which was prescribed for them concerning the days and their secrets. Here ends the revelation of the secrets of Enoch. The last line of this this very influential book is the punitive afterlife. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's mm-hmm. ever said there is no hell in Judaism, it's here. And the angels, they're part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, because it does men- mention in Enoch that uh, which one, like who's in charge of what, like Raphael is over the spirits of men. Gabriel is in charge of paradise. Remiel is over those who rise sort of like a, about that's possibly a reference to resurrection. Mm-hmm. And Uriel is in charge of Tartarus. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of one of the underworld angels. Mm-hmm. I forgot this earlier, but when you list the names of the watchers themselves, and I don't want to get it. It's a long list of like- Oh, there's a- <laughs> I know. I've got it all here. Mm-hmm. They're usually tied to like elements of geology and astronomy. Like their names are like heaven and earth. It kind of reflects that these- Powerful creatures were probably watching over some major powers and kind of shaping things. They were not minor functionaries. Yeah, it's pretty heady stuff. I mean, you know, apart from the cosmetics, but meteorology, yeah, resolving of enchantments, writing, hmm. writing's part of it. Yeah, that that creates a lot of dissent later on. I'm sure it yeah. does because does who like why? Yeah, I don't know. It's a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? <laughs> Just like. How did, like Adam and Eve, whenever they encountered another person, weren't they just, they were never freaked out by that? (laughs) And yet, they're the only two people? Like, shouldn't they have known? I don't know. So, when you talked about the seven changing into weeks, seven days, Mm -hmm. little weekly things, that reminds me of the Jubilees. Yeah, yeah. It it has, it jangles with that. Mm -hmm. Jangles with the Jubilees. (laughs) As Jubilees mm-hmm. tells this entire damned story all over again, mm-hmm. but frames it as like, and then there was a party. I kind of was really interested in the Jubilees. Huh. Because do, do you know what the Jubilees rapper name is? No. Little Genesis. What? Oh. It's sometimes called Little Genesis. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's valid. Or like a first draft of Genesis. Oh, but Jubilees is very like the priestly source. And it's like, contemporary. Priestly. Mm-hmm. Or modern. And it's delivered to Moses. So we have right, right. another key figure here. Yeah, one who's very tied to the contractual God relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, this, this book is like all about laws, laws of purification, 
uh, laws generally, laws about murder, and this kind and this huge focus on numerology. There's a lot of rituals, like they invent new rituals left and right. It's a very priesty book, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like a how-to because the way it's broken down also is into the seven-year cycles. Um, so that you know when you observe Jewish religious uh, festivals and holy days. Were they on a seven-year thing? Um, it says, uh, events described in Genesis through Exodus 12 are dated by a jubilees of 49 years, each of which is composed of seven cycles of seven years. Oh. So, yeah. So the point of it does seem to be to try to make sure that people observe the right things on the right dates. Mm. Okay. But it does, mm-hmm. but it also frames the entire like history of creation to, to kind of underline that. With a lot of weird factoids. <laughs> it's almost like one of those daily, like one of those big planners that has like inspirational sayings. On <laughs> this every- is your 49 year <laughs> devotional calendar. Oh exactly. My yeah. Yeah. But did yeah, you know yeah. Adam's daughters were named blah, blah, blah. Mm hmm. I kind of find it fascinating because of because of the just how didactic it is. It really I think that's why I had trouble with it is because it's so very like Mm -hmm. comic book guy writing style. It really is. It really is. But it's also I've read a few things about feminist scholars pointing out that this actually is one of the few or the only (laughs) book of its type that actually treats women as actual individuals and part like equal partners in couples like with Adam and Eve and Noah and and, uh, his wife is actually named here. And it talks about Adam and Eve, like uh, Eve actually talks with God herself or as a partner to Adam, like God spoke to us. It's not God speaking to Adam and then Adam telling Eve things and they're, you know, like they're, they're equals in parenting. And so all of the women, in the Jubilees are actually our characters rather than, you know, just the conduits for terrible things happening in the world. That's amazing. And what mm-hmm. a surprise that it was left out of the Bible. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. But again, like I said earlier, the, the um, begats have a more, they're, they're matrilineal. Mm-hmm. Um, and where things fall apart is when that structure falls apart. So the kind of bad problematic periods in these lineages are kind of where this matrilineal, at least one of the, the scholars I read, she she argues that that's when the matrilineal lines fall apart. A lot of the stories of the Watchers are kind of in these like apocryphal texts and in the way that Enoch influences other texts later on. One last one that we haven't gotten to is the Book of Giants, mm-hmm. which is like the most garbled of all because it's it's like confetti scraps. There's There's just little tiny fragments held together, but it kind of suggests that it's the dreams of the giants about what's going to happen to them. And there's two big names here from a previous episode. We've got Gilgamesh, just one of the giants, and Humbaba, or a name that's very derivative of mm-hmm. Humbaba, who's mm-hmm. the um, the giant that kind of watched over the gate to the underworld in Mesopotamian stories. Yeah. And it's also not Homie Baba, who was a, a literary scholar that everybody who did post-colonial literature quoted to infinite lengths. These are the jokes, folks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like we are like hitting like peak annoying nerdness. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I th- think that the Book of Giants, and there's a couple of different 
giants mm-hmm. that tell like have different fragments. But I think one of the stories we get here is the basically the birth of demons okay. in the world mm-hmm. because when a nephilim is born, it's half divine, half not divine, a uh, half mortal. So as they die, their bodies die, but their mortal, their immortal side bubbles to the surface. This is where evil possessing spirits come from. So in a very literal sense, this is the birth of evil in the world. Oh, I'll say, how do demons possess people like the, um, like Legion and the pigs? Yeah, yeah. Because, oh, because they originally had bodies. Right. And these are the demons that are floating around when the New Testament is being written and lived. Mm. See, this kind of adds more to something I want to bring up in a bit as we talk about post-flood demonology. But yeah, go on with... I mean, that's that's what I got. It's the, these demons bubble to the surface of the waters after the flood. The flood releases evil into the world. So it's like demons, you're soaking in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think someone is actually saying that in a commentary on Enoch, someone said that Enoch describes evil entering the world, not the book of Genesis. That's just kind of a, a botched story there. The the sin was more accidental. This is like the birth of true evil in the world. Yes. Mm, interesting. Okay. So we've been kind of pre-flood for a bit, and we're now mm-hmm. entering flood, and then eventually we'll be in post-flood. Right. The antediluvian. Oh, gas. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, antediluvian is pre-flood. Correct. So, post-diluvian. post-diluvian. Is there a word for that? There, yeah, there is, but I don't know it. Uh-huh. Um, so, one of, the, one of the stories I was reading was that all this is pre-flood. The flood happened. How were there giants, for example, David and Goliath? Like, where did these guys come from when the flood should have killed everybody but Noah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have answers there. Did you find anything about it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Noah's brother wrote a bunch <gasps> of stuff down. Mm-hmm. If you can pronounce mm-hmm. it, it has an A in it, right? I do not have the name down here. Oh, okay. But yes. Uh-huh. I'm, mm-hmm. And then Noah's brother wrote everything down mm-hmm. and gave the books to Shem. Okay. And then the flood happened, blah, blah, blah. Everything happened. And then after the flood, post-Diluvian, Shem read the book, the Book of Giants. And, okay. s- and he tore it up. Yeah, and <laughs> somehow just him reading the book invoked the giants. And hmm. I'm like, that's obviously how books work. Yeah. Like, but well, we're screwed. Like, God fixed the giants by floodifying all of them. And exactly 12.2 minutes later, Shem undid everything. This sounds a bit Zohar. Like, I, I would imagine this is maybe a uh, rabbinical commentary sort of story. It's, I mean, in that it leans so heavily on the word yeah, it, and its power. It definitely is rabbinical commentary, but I I really think your idea makes more sense than just Shem read the book, right? The demons were there, the giants were there, their souls were there, and then they just found new bodies, new corporeal bodies. Bubble, 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 there's your evil. <laughs> hmm, the smacks of demon. So, some pop culture uh, watchers okay. and Nephilim, mm-hmm. episode 114 yep. of The X-Files, All Souls, Dana Scully tries to save three Nephilim. They're like young girls with genetic deformations. Okay. Interesting. 
video games, there's quite a lot. Of, there's a lot more than this, I mean, obviously. But video games, you've got Tomb Raider, Devil May Cry, Diablo, Assassin's Creed, and so many more. And they've really kind of left their mark on, like, fantasy and sci-fi really in a big way. I think just because the word Nephilim is so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is cool. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, there's also a Mormon connection. Is there? Yeah. I just have, like, a, a brief side quest into Mormonism here. Okay. But so, while the LDS does not consider Enoch, the first Enoch, to be part of their uh, canon, they do believe that the purported original Book of Enoch was an inspired book. So, it's not canonical, but it is held as a book of, like, it has value within the faith. And I I think that 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 is it. It's a book that touches everything, but nobody has. <laughs> mm-hmm. Origin really liked it, too. Yeah. And so also the Book of Moses, uh, which was uh, published in the 1830s, and that is part of the scriptural canon of the LDS, but it has a section that claims to contain extracts from this original Book of Enoch. So there's an assumption that there's an original mm-hmm. out there. The original, or so-called original Enoch has been folded into LDS canon and as well as other Enoch texts, and also the Book of Giants is folded in there. Hmm. So it's supposed to be like they see Enoch's visions as straight-up teachings and ministry, yeah. but it doesn't contain the whole book. But yeah, so there's just kind of an interesting thing. Like they have like more of a they've ex- you know sort of absorbed more of it into other canonical works, which I wouldn't I I, I find surprising. It was Enoch was. Huge until about 300 AD. Um, mm-hmm. People were like, this is scripture, basically. And I don't, I don't when, when was the Bible consolidated? Like, I don't, I don't have that number in my head. I think that was like, that was Roman, late Roman, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Okay. Oh, you're asking. I think we're like six, 600 <laughs> for the current set of 66, 67. Uh-huh. So 600. Yeah. Vindicated through the horns. <sighs> where was I, where was I going with this? Oh, so Enoch was really big until about, 300. 300 and mm-hmm. yeah, and this is before the Bible was really like completed and, and finalized. That was somewhere in the 500 to 600s. But around about 300, we get into the story that you were teasing earlier, where specifically Lucifer brought specifically a third of the hosts of heaven down with him. So the kind of the Luciferian f- fall from pride tied very closely to the the like original sin garden of eden fall that's a year like 300 to 350 myth where that starts to become important and i think origin and augustine were very keen on it augustine did not like enoch at all and so around about 400 ish enoch just started to lose credibility and it was not seen as valuable mm-hmm. so it just flat out disappeared until like the 1600s and there were no copies until like qumran dead sea scroll type things mm-hmm. So it just it was this phenomenally important book that touches everything, but does not directly impact the entire flow of Christianity. It's like subtly influences everything that happens, except in Ethiopia, where it's kind of a big thing. Can I just say again, this makes me angry about my all of my Sunday school and vacation Bible school. Oh my God, I would love it at Book teachings. of Enoch Sunday School Vacation <laughs> Bible School Book of Enoch. Like, yes, yes, why? yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Here's a, a white heifer 
plushy. <laughs> What's going to happen to it? Here comes like the those, stars. The big felt storyboard with a little cutout. So you just have like a cow and this kind of star oh kind of coming down. But like this stuff was never explained. Like, okay, so you just assume like, okay, everybody in the world was bad. So God sent a flood, told Noah you know, take two of everything. And then, you know, there was a God and Noah had a contract where he would be spared and he would know that it was safe to return to the land because there'd be a dove of peace and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, this is way more interesting. (laughs) Dove of peace. It's true. Backstory. Yeah. Backstory. Like, this makes... Let's not... I don't know. um, Yeah. Let's let's (laughs) just just stress the word. (laughs) It's just way more interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't want to teach this mm-hmm. to twelve-year-olds. Yes, <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know. I think there's well, I, as I I said, think you the of video, the like, worksheets. Uh-huh. It's just like yeah, this kind of over uh, simplistic. This it, it's hilarious how simplistic the stories become. Yes, you know when they're when they're just like. I don't know. Decontextualized. I mean, yeah, like rabbinical works actually bring in some humor, some sex, like that kind of like, uh, why, why can't we have humor and sex in religion? I don't know. That's my little rant. I wish I'd known all this stuff. I would have maybe st- <laughs> stayed, stayed around and uh, like gone to Sunday school a little longer. So that sends my, my TED talk. So I think our next episode is going to be Suddenly Satan. (laughs) Yay. You just get some mayonnaise and some pasta and some tubal cane. Oh, the spices. Right. Okay. Tubal cane, the spices. (laughs) Right. Okay. That makes. Oh, we could make a spice mix. We could make a, that could be our merch as tubal cane spice mix. (laughs) Hear me out. A tubal cane melange. (gasps) Ooh. Ooh. Uh Uh-huh. You could, what is the little You could you could deliver it in a two ball can. <laughs> That's actually like tubal, mm-hmm. like a tubular yeah. Oh, yeah, tubal yeah, 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 yeah. can. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. But until then, dear listeners, we will see you in hell. Bye. Bye. Adieu. This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.